It's Tuesday at 8pm and you're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Good evening and you're very welcome to tonight's Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and as always I have a trio of fantastic guests for you to hear from tonight. First up, we're going to hear from the very multi-talented Galway Michelin star chef and founder of Food on the Edge. JP McMahon has details about one of his latest projects, which is an e-book called Lessons from Lockdown, Cooking After Covid. I'll be chatting to the owner of one of West Limerick's latest additions to the food scene, Maura Griffin from Organigo in Abbeyfield. And finally, our regular Helen Cook from This Winding Life reveals how her house move resulted in the discovery of some of her favourite but long forgotten kitchen gadgets. But before we hear from tonight's guests, let me tell you how to get in touch with me at the best possible taste. You can make contact by emailing me s.nunan at live.ie or you can tweet me at Queen of Org as in Queen of Organisation and I'm on Instagram at Sharon J. Noonan. So in August of 2020, when many in the restaurant business around the world found themselves enduring the brutal consequences of a global pandemic, many without income, without their staff and their business, Food in the Age founder J.P. McMahon reached out to speakers and other contributors to the Food on the Edge Symposium and his request was simple, to write a letter addressed to the industry. Last week I caught up with JP, so let's have a listen. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. JP, you're very welcome to the programme. Thanks so much for talking to me today. How are you keeping? Ah, not too bad. I mean, there's good days and bad days. Trying to keep busy. Um... If I don't think too much about the restaurants, I'm generally okay. Yeah, I'd say you're you're not alone in that situation. And you have managed to keep very busy producing a very comprehensive book, Lessons from Lockdown, Cooking After COVID. You got the idea last summer and it all started in August. Yeah, well, the, actually, the idea, the initial idea actually came from a few years ago when we we got the idea of of, a, of doing a book called Letters to a Young Chef or Emails to a Young Chef. And, and there's, there's plenty of them in, in the history of, I suppose, in that genre. There's a Letters to a Young Poet by Rana Mariah Rilke, if I pronounce the name right. And then I think um, Daniel Ballou did uh, Letters to a Young Chef. And I was thinking, God, it would be nice to do something from Food and the Edge for the next generation. And, and I suppose it was always on hold because we were organizing the symposium and and then when we had to cancel last year, we, we kind of reignited that idea. And it began as an initial letter to a young chef that I wrote and I sent it to some of the speakers. And it kind of evolved into a, a general reflection on COVID, lockdown, the future of the industry. I didn't want to be too prescriptive to the speakers because, as you know, chefs like to talk about what they want to talk about. So I, I left it open. I said they can address it to young chefs or to to um, the frontline workers or to volunteers or to immigrants. Um, and um, yeah, like I think it was 120 odd um, emails in the book and some of them were quite long and that. So yeah, it, it, it took the 
I suppose it took longer than I thought. I thought we would have it out in November, but I suppose the more people we asked and then waiting for responses and, and all that, it, it just it took it took its time. But it, it's great to get it out. And we did it as a free ebook because I wanted it to, to be something to give back to the industry um, because the industry is, is I suppose, uh, having such a hard time at the moment. And did did you initially aim it at young chefs because you want to impart some knowledge or experience that you've learned since you, and it's not that you're old, but your journey, marriage, children, work in numerous businesses. Like, I, I mean, personally for me, I love my work. I love my job. And of course I love my husband and children as well. But I mean, I'd rather spend my days doing a lot of work than looking after my children all day every day but then I suppose maybe whenever we get older we think god 10 years has passed Hannah's nearly 10 now have I missed out and a lot of stuff but yes. I think we do the best we can at the time when we're in that moment yeah I think so and I think perhaps lockdown has compounded that with I suppose even with the schools closed at the moment and having to like homeschool and I don't think any parent is qualified to homeschool no matter how 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 much how much um how many qualifications you have so I I think that is that is that has been there's been good and bad in that I mean it's good to see the children more at the same time it's hard to try and um keep things keep things going with with your business and, and keep to try and I suppose trying to innovate um because I suppose you have to keep on pivoting at the same time, there's the pressure to pivot. There's there's uh, the pressure to keep the business going at some cost. But at the same time, you've got it. You've got the kids at home and that. And I think there's it's not only hospitality. I think there's a lot of parents trying to get through that at the moment with, uh, with whatever they're doing. And if you have two parents working, it is difficult. So I, I suppose for us doing the book, I, I wanted it to be something that that young chefs could read and and. I suppose get inspired by uh, there's there's many different letters and I mean there it's just because it's about lockdown it doesn't mean they're negative there's so many positive letters in there about about the future and about how different chefs reflect on it and, and hopefully it just gives the industry a little bit of a boost um, in terms of uh, in in terms of opening up a dialogue you know about about what's happening around the around the world and as, as Mark Best said. I think in in his letter that it's uh it's perhaps like there's probably a lot of good things that will come out of out of out of um out of COVID for hospitality and maybe that is um realizing that we I suppose that we don't spend enough time in our own country either do you know and maybe two summers of uh, of holidaying in Ireland will 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 bring a lot of Irish people back to their own uh their own produce their own land and and that will happen in every country uh, this year not just not just in Ireland and so. I think there is a there is a there is a, a small reset. I wouldn't I wouldn't go as far as say there'll be a big reset, but there will be a small reset, I think, in relation to how we view stuff. And I hope that the the SMEs that are selling online will will also do well out of it because I think retail has also taken a massive hit, particularly in smaller towns. So I, I think that we need to make sure that of course we're always going to be uh using the larger supermarkets or larger online uh, online retailers but we just have to remember to think of the the smaller producers as well because it's all about balance at the end of the day 
Absolutely. And I think we are all or many of us are very guilty of not being familiar with what's on our doorstep, be it the local retailer, the local restaurant, the local beauty spot. So even being restricted to your own county every now and again, it is an opportunity to explore that. You, Your contributors there, 121 contributors, so chefs, food producers, growers, educators, journalists from all over the world. As you said, you got a really fantastic response and, and a very diverse response. Yeah, it was great. We just kept expanding it and then we would think of someone else. And unfortunately, and we're, we're doing a second edition at the moment because some people didn't even realize they got the email because when you send out emails, sometimes they go into spam and like there was just so many. So even some of some of the past speakers and that. So it's just we're going to do a second edition and we're going to put this one up on Google Books uh, probably in, in a month or so. And we are we are look we are in talk with a publisher to do a hard copy. So hopefully um, that it will it will continue. And I, I hope it just gives inspiration because uh, we wanted to be as diverse as possible. I, I think. As the book grew, I thought, like, who, who, who in Ireland, I suppose, is in the industry that possibly doesn't know about Food on the Edge, but is in, uh, or might know of it peripherally, but hadn't, uh, hadn't been to Food on the Edge. And so we tried to reach out to people, possibly, who, um, who, who hadn't been to Food on the Edge, but were, were, were supporters at the same time. So to try and widen the net, and I think it's important for, for us to try and always think that, how can we grow food on the edge from where it started? And sure, you you've been to the mall now, and like is you've seen how how it's changed from, I mean, I suppose there being a focus on on restaurants to now being, I suppose I would say a focus on gastronomy in, in many many places. And I think the speakers that that have come have 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 broadened my mind and and broadened. I hope we just continue to keep broadening Irish food culture. That's that's all we can we can uh, we can do. And um, no more than. Like yourself, there are there are a number of journalists around the world that I who 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 um who love food on the edge and and who promote it in their countries and we're very thankful for that because often it's it's very hard to to connect with those those people. So I am always uh, thankful that there are uh, journalists like Sarah Scarponi in Italy who's writing for um, the Stampa. Like it's great to have that coverage, and I think sometimes we forget in Ireland that. Like Food on the Edge is an international movement and it has great kudos all around the world. Um, and I, I feel sad sometimes when I'm talking to Irish people and they've never heard of it, particularly people in the food industry, because it is something I think that will give will keep on giving back. And as far as I'm concerned, I think it'd be great to have a, a major food network in every single county because we have the producers, we can have the restaurants, we can have really great wine shops and farmers markets all of those things and for me that's what food in the edge is about and are you hoping to do an in-person one this october or what's what have you kind of got in the pipeline at the moment for it yeah like fingers crossed we were hoping to do possibly a one day because we've just been wiped out in terms of in terms of um any sort of um capital at all and all of our sponsors of course are are suffering as well so everything is going to be less so we're provisionally hoping that it will be a one-day event and like we're kind of roughly hoping that it will be half the size so we're looking at about 25 speakers probably mostly irish and european because just with i don't know if quarantine will still be happening is it possible to bring someone from africa or india or australia 
Um, and we're we're looking at we're looking at at the moment actually hope uh, possibly putting it on in Dublin. Um, again, not for any reason. It's just for li- just for we have a, we have a possible location there uh, that is ready made, and that's another thing about finding a location and finding sponsorship for that location and all the moving parts. I mean, I'm sure I've told you before that the food and age cost about three hundred thousand to put on, and if we can half that, it'll be half. It'll be I think twice as easy. So if we can have a working budget of around one hundred and fifty, and say, look, can we do this this year? And try, and we're going to try and uh, and bring in the 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 Zoom elements because so many of us have got used to that now. So we should be able to to fold that in to the to the conference, and also to try and make it available through Zoom. Because again, we've tried over the years to stream it, and it, there's always been different issues. And I, I think that was because uh, streaming at live conferences and that wasn't probably uh, as as necessary. Whereas now, I think it's nearly um, second nature to everyone. I I I streamed a conference that I, that I went to last week, and everyone was streaming, and it wasn't even a everyone was everywhere, and it wasn't even no one even thought about it. Mm-hmm. Whereas every year we've tried to stream, it's like oh my god, you need this technician and that technician and this and this and this. Whereas now all of these people have seemed to come out of the woodwork, and it's just everyone knows how to do everything, and it's like oh yeah, streaming's no problem at all. Yeah, technology has definitely come on in leaps and bounds in the past yes. 12 months, as has people's knowledge of it. Like, I don't know if Zoom was even on my radar oh, 12 absolutely. months ago. I'd never, I'd never heard of Zoom. And now yeah, we have a Zoom account and we, <laughs> we use it for all the cooking classes and we've upgraded it now. So we, we're, we're trying to do this new online class with up to 100 people. So you, you, it's... it's um, it's a, uh, it's, it's a. Uh, there's always money behind everything. I was like, oh, Jesus Christ, Zoom is free, and then you realise the more you get into Zoom, the less free it is. So, uh, but that's not necessarily a bad thing because I think it, it, it's a great support. And for me, it's to, it, it's great to be like to be able to talk to yourself or talk to anyone. Um, I'm talking to the Donegal food producers tonight through Zoom as well. So, look, these are all possible. I, I think these will continue as well um, after because I think that we. I suppose we have a responsibility to try and learn from this and, and possibly all of the traveling we were doing in the past. I mean, every time I was on the radio for Dublin, I drove down and, and they insisted because studio was better. And every time I'm on the radio now, it's it's either Zoom or Skype. I think unnecessary journeys are just are contributing to climate change and all this. And so I, I, I will think about it in the future, whether I need to go in person to if there's a conference on somewhere because um, it's, uh, I, think, I think it's important to, to, to take from that. I think you can get more engagement and participation as well. For somebody maybe that is farming, for example, who, you know, they have to be there first thing and last thing if it's dairy. For them to maybe come in and join in in something like a foot in the edge for a couple of hours whenever they're eating their dinner. Yes. Do you know it's it's the accessibility is fantastic and I think that is definitely a huge bonus to it. So to get the balance between the in-person audience and then the the um the virtual audience, I think it's the perfect it's the perfect solution. I think for yeah, I, I think so, and I think from people around the world as well. Because for me, it's always about how do we keep growing, and it's not. I'm not content to just to to stay uh, in this, the size we are because I think there's so many more things that Food and the Edge can be doing with regards to 
um, the, the 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 food industry or, or 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 the food culture, you know. And you mentioned farming there, and I think we have a long way to go with trying to bring our farming into our food culture. I mean, so many farmers are already there, like the likes of Drummond House or Bally McKenney or all of these different farmers. But we need we need more farmers to realize that they're part of food culture. They're not just producing a commodity and that they have a voice and they can come and talk and they, they, they should be interacting with the people that are buying their product or the, the restaurants. And I, I know in, in, in our, uh, for, for us over the last 10 or 12 years, that that's as, that's as, as built our business, and whether it's Castle Mine or the Friendly Farmer. And I think every restaurant has a story with their producer or with their farmer. And I, I think it's important for like farmers to reach out to restaurants and restaurants to reach back to farmers and to try and activate that through their social media because they have a platform and, and I think they should really be using it. And as we mentioned with the, re, the local retailers as well, I think it's important for them to reach out to to their, their local as well because often that it's just taken for granted that, oh, it's in Galway, therefore everyone knows about it. Um, and uh, you, you never know. Like recently, actually, my daughter, my, my daughter lost her phone and I rang it and someone had picked it up and I said... Um, I said, oh, sure, I, 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 I'm, 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 they said we're at the Garda station in Galway, and I said, I'm around the corner in an ear, and they were like, what's that? And, you know, and you take for granted that everyone knows about everything, and I had to explain, oh, it's a restaurant, and it's just, we forget that the people who are not involved in our circle may not know, and I think it's really important to try and reach out to other areas, and that's possibly what we try to do with the book as well, like who's peripherally involved in food, even just to give examples, we have a winemaker from Italy in there, I mean, I'd love to put way more people in, but it was just like, how do we pick like certain examples to, of, of people who, who would write about it and share it? And then we might get more of those people. So whether it's a farmer, a journalist, a winemaker, a sommelier, like a, a front of house, how do, we, how do we get more of them involved in Food and the Edge and, and to grow it as opposed to just people thinking that it's just a movement for chefs? You mentioned Anir there and you mentioned using Zoom for the online cookery courses because Anir has a cookery school as well and you have Kava and Tartar. So, I mean, you three different strings to your bow there in terms of out, restaurant outlets. A lot of places have been doing boxes that they send out or click and collect you've been doing the online cookery classes and you, I think you occasionally do the, the boxes as well. Yeah, we did. We did the box during the first lockdown. Um, we did the box. We did tartare at home and we did takeaway from Cava. Uh, we, we didn't do it on the second lockdown. And, and now I suppose we're just waiting. I, I felt January was just a write-off in terms of the cases were so high and I just didn't want to open tartare for selling coffees and pastries for people more people wandering around town i just thought it so we we're, we're looking to the beginning of march we're going to do uh, some oysters and cava as a little uh, tartare at home for valentine's just to test the water a bit uh, and then i presume i mean we're, we're i hope we're open by june i mean if we're not open by june i'll crack up because that will be 180 days closed and if we haven't sorted this out in 180 days i just don't think we're ever going to sort it out um so I'm hoping by June we'll be open for, for sit-down. So what we'll do is we'll gradually open Cava, uh, maybe do some takeaway in Mar April, May, just because it will be difficult for places just to restart straight away. And, and you are looking at restocking and restaffing. A lot of our, I don't even know where our staff are now. You know, we had 45 staff. Some have left Galway. A lot of them, unfortunately, and, and I only realized this 
yesterday is that a lot of them this lockdown were getting the PUP but like not getting any more rent support. So it's it's very difficult for a lot of um, chefs and front of house people to continue paying rent in Galway when possibly they have family somewhere in some other county where they can just move home, particularly if it is going to be for six months. So it will be hard, I think, in terms of staff. And I know I know some of our staff have left the industry and gone on to say work in Medtronic or somewhere else because they just needed to 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 work and that's and that's fair enough so i think staff staffing will be an issue um i also think that with the absence of international tourism i think there'll be a there will be a problem with demand and we'll, we'll see how when everything opens and the grants start to dry up i think that's when it will be hard for uh for for restaurants and and I, i'm really hoping we we the plan is to open in here in june but if if for some reason we don't open during the summer and then lockdown ends in September, that that an ear will miss a second year and it, it's it, it's going to be hard. We're paying full rent in there. I mean the classes are covering that, and it's only myself um on the on the books at the moment. But it's just uh, it will be hard to motivate and find staff and and like keeping a Michelin star is is uh, is difficult in terms of you you need a high caliber of of staff both front and back and we'll see we'll see how things go and like uh, all I can do is hope at the moment congratulations on retaining your your star this year that must have been a huge relief to you because everybody was it unsure was. and unclear what way Michelin were going to yeah, do it and we, and we didn't open I know Michelin said they were around in 2019 and they had been, they were in Cava and Tartar in December uh, so they, they 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 were around in in December and that and so we we have been doing the classes and and I was quite open with them. I'd emailed them and said we're not going to open. Uh, we will be reopening in March 2021. Now it'll be June 2021. But again, it will be hard for them as well. I mean, they of course have given people a, a pass because they they just judge you on your previous year standards. But if places don't open again, I'm sure it will be very very hard for them and. It's uh, it's all about cash flow. It's just like the longer it goes on, the less you have. And I'm sure they will bring in some restart grants and that will be helpful. But I think the main thing we need to do, and, and they keep debating it, is, 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 is to sort out the quarantine. I think it's really, really important. I think for me, it's a no-brainer. And they're talking about like uh, incursions on people's civil liberties. And I, I don't know if they get the irony that everyone is in their house at the moment and they can't go more than 5K. And they're talking about even Leo Vradkett said today, when people are allowed to travel free around Europe, and I was like, well, they're not at the moment, you know. So I think that we really need to do that because I think that as other countries have shown, if we can if we can sort out the borders, once we get the cases down, there shouldn't be an increase, you know. And 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 I still think that over the Christmas, I don't think it was people and and hospitality that caused this massive increase. I think it was these new variants. That came in now. Now that represent thirty or forty percent. So I think hospitality is being stigmatized at the moment, and it, it has a bad name among all of Neffet. I think it's going to be a it's going to be a challenge and a fight to reopen, because I'm sure at every hurdle, whether it's March or April or May, there will be once we get below hundred cases, I'm sure the pressure will be on for for the country to open up, and it can't be easy for the government because it's costing millions to keep to keep it closed, and so. Um, we need we need a balanced approach, but we definitely need to sort out our borders, and we need to get we need to just to try and be uh, to sort out the to sort out the north. I know it sounds it sounds easier, but we we need a consensus, and I think we need to look beyond politics. And I think that 
the, the Taoiseach and Arlene Foster just need to do what's best for the island now and say, look, this is the best thing for the north and the south and just say, well, let's do this for four weeks and even try it. You know, let's just do it for four weeks because not doing it, I think, is not an option and it'll just cause more more harm and more more grievances. The behind-the-scenes challenges such as staffing, training, cash flow, having supplies of, of food in, these are things that the general public, unless they're in hospitality, they have no idea about, they have no appreciation of what goes on behind the scenes, I suppose, in any business, unless you, you work in it. So there is a requirement there for the general public to be kind and to be patient when things do open up again. Do you think that people have a better appreciation now and they, they don't sweat the small stuff as much? I think they do. I think last year, I think, showed that, and particularly over Christmas as well, with places opening up, having shorter menus and not having access to to as much. And I, I think Brexit, we haven't even... The industry hasn't even dealt with Brexit yet because we've been closed. So I'm sure when places open up and those supply channels, whether it's oranges or lemons or anything that doesn't grow in this country, like there, there may be a, when, when all the industry opens up, there's going to be a great demand for a lot of stuff that no one is buying at the moment. So I'm sure there will be shortages. And I think it's important that uh, customers who, who, uh, who go to their favorite restaurant or go for dinner, like, realize that it will there will be feeding problems and, and it will take time to uh to, to get back on 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 an even keel so and that's why like personally and i think if, if there are businesses uh listening or they are in the industry i do think that even if they're not doing takeaway i think it's it's important to try and open up for something in april and may because because to do everything at once i don't even think we'd be able to open three businesses at the same time on the 1st of June, if that's the date, like we'd have to stagger it because like we're just not going to be able to get 45 staff like at the drop of a hat. So I think what we'll do is we'll do Tartar first, maybe in March, open that up just for coffees and um, takeaway, and then maybe do the nighttime box and then maybe do Cava and then we'll deal with an ear last. But I think it's important that the public realize that, that it's just not, you can't just turn it on again. It's not like a, not like a tap. And one final question then, when you do reopen, are we going to see some of your fabulous paintings adorning the walls of your, your restaurants? Because I've seen oh, on your social media that you, I don't know if it's something new that you've done, but it's certainly new that you've put it on social media. Some amazing, are they oil paintings? They look like oil paintings. Yeah, they're, they're oil, oil and some are acrylic and there's some collages. It's something I did like maybe 20 years ago and like it, well before the days of, of social media. And again, it, that's another positive, I think, from, from lockdown. It's just starting or, or restarting pastimes. And, I, and I, I sold a few. I did, I did one for, uh, for Velvet Cloud, a little a, a kind of abstract painting of Mayo. And I'm doing one for a Canadian person at the moment. And it's nice. It's just another avenue. And for me, it's a similar process to to baking or to whatever else we're doing. And I think the more that we see food as art in this country, I think that, that we'll understand it uh, better or whether it's writing as well. I mean, I love to write and I, um, whether it's plays or, or, or kind of poems and that. And so these are things that I think that, um, that, that I think lots of people like to do, but they, they, we, when we actually generally, when we look at people, we, we generally kind of group them in, categorize them. So I'm a chef and, if you're a journalist or it's like, and we forget that people are very rounded 
and that there's so much more than just their the descriptive label. And I think that's why some people were getting upset in social media going, when like you're not a painter. And I was like, I never said I was anything. I, I or like what gives you the right to paint? And I was like, I'm just painting. Uh so I think people get very upset when people stray out of their fields. But I think it's the more people that stray out of the fields, the better we'll be and 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 go in and do whatever you want. Because really it's it's um it's just been great to have an activity to be able to do and a solitary activity that's actually good for one's mental health because I think that's really important and it's something that we 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 don't get to talk about a lot about the the mental health the mental health effect of lockdown for everyone you know and I think that that stress is is uh, I think everyone is feeling whether they're working or or, or not working and um, I think hopefully when the schools reopen that 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 will lessen somewhat because I think motivating my daughters to do homework and to do zooms and google google this and oh there's just so many of them that i actually uh i find it i find it difficult so uh, it's definitely um i'm definitely not the best homeschooler but it's at least we're trying anyway you couldn't be any worse than me although i was told the other oh, day no. i was much better this time round than last time round but i think that's because it's more online this time they're a bit uh, more independent I'm glad there's that. There's that, and I'm uh, there, I'm glad there is a little bit of the online that the, the, they can t- chat to their teachers every day, and there's a little bit of motivation from there. But getting them to bed and getting them out of bed is the hardest thing when mm-hmm. they think it's the summer holidays permanently. It's like sure we've nothing to get up for. <laughs> we've sure we've nothing to go to bed for. And it's just like permanent. Like I don't know how we're going to get up at half eight when, or sorry, half eight. What am I saying? Uh, at half seven when school starts again, I'm going to be like, oh my god. <laughs> But look, we're all just doing our best. That's what I keep telling myself. I'm doing Aye. my best. And I really, I, I hope now in 10 years time, I won't be looking back and trying to say, oh, you should have done this and you should have done that. It's important, no, 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 no. important to keep, keep looking forward. And um, look, congratulations on lessons from lockdown, cooking after COVID. If people go to foodontheedge.ie, they'll get all the details there. Sign up for the newsletter and then the, the first the, the first newsletter has uh, will have the book attached to it. Thanks so much and great to talk to you again, Sharon. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan. And just before the break, we were talking to Chef J.P. McMahon about a new book. It's an e-book and it's called Lessons from Lockdown Cooking After COVID. And if you look at the Food on the Edge website, you'll be able to get it there. Still to come tonight, Helen Cook from This Winding Life reveals how her house move resulted in the discovery of some of her favourite but long forgotten kitchen gadgets. Next though, if you are a regular viewer of Nationwide on RTE1, you will have come across my next guest. Maura Griffin is the founder of Organigo in Abbeyfield and I talked to her last week. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. You're very welcome to the programme. Thanks for joining me today. I know you're very busy out on the road at the moment. You've pulled over. We really appreciate that. So we don't want to delay you too long, but we're very keen to find out more about the Organigo story. Some people may have seen you on Nationwide a few weeks ago, but for those that haven't, tell us about the business. You started in 2019. So I started the business in 2019. I got the facility in Abbeyfield 
and we started building a purpose-built uh, facility. Um, then we got up and running in September 2020. Took a little bit longer because of COVID, but we got there. And we got our certification for Irish Organic Certification. And we got our EHO sign-off as well. Um, I suppose I started it uh, because I have an interest in organic food and bringing ready-to-eat organic food to the market. And, and because there's going to be significant growth in the market in the coming years. And I want to promote it down in West Limerick and in North Kerry because I think we, coming from a farming background, um, that we have the ability to, to be leaders in um, organic farming, hopefully, in the future. So you're a certified organic vegetable manufacturer. So that might confuse some people because you're not growing, you're manufacturing. So basically, you're buying organic vegetables such as beetroot, cauliflower, courgettes, butternut squash, butternut squash and you are processing them, but not in a bad way, processing them. Yeah, we're processing them like in an organic way, as natural as possible. Because sometimes, like, not everyone has time to cut the veg or whatever. You know, you're so busy. Like the way I look at it is, sometimes you're busy, you're working, or you're a working mom, or your kids, and you want to give them something organic, and it's Friday or it's Monday, and you didn't plan according, and you're behind, and it's just this is quick. It's a it's a once a week kind of a job. You know what I mean? You'll pick this up nice and easy and you won't feel guilty for, you know, not giving them veg or still giving them something good for them, if that makes sense. So it's like pre-prepared veg, but not just yeah. chopped up, it's spiralized so it can be used in stir fries or salads. And you're you're an, a circular economy business. What does that yeah. mean? So that's like the, the 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 new sustainability goals that are like worldwide. I don't know if you've heard of the Paris Agreement that people like businesses are trying to go to so that we don't create waste, we don't create um um we don't create surplus of anything. We do our best to always be efficient in our everything we do, not just the food on the shelf so our, our packaging is biodegradable we don't want to leave a trace um or currently our hair nets at the moment i need to try and find biodegradable hair nets you know everything that we do from the very start to the very end we're very conscious about how we how what we do and how it interacts with the environment and you have a paperless site i read <laughs> Well, we're getting there. We're nearly paperless. Because we're starting off, we still have some paper on site. So I won't I won't make that claim. The aim is to be paperless by 2023. And the aim is to be a certified, a certified circular economy business by 2022, 23, give or take. Because um, you know you have to, you have to, we get audited. So we'll have to get audited and all these things because you can't just make these claims because you have to, someone has to go in and check. Because we can all make claims, but you know it's great to have the certification behind you. That's why I have the the, the organic certification. They come in, they check my paperwork, they check my traceability, they check our you know that we're that that we're doing things right and that you know that we're being audited and we're continuously improving to 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 change because we're learning all the time about the environment and about things that we thought were good. 10 years ago now we realize oh actually do you know what that's not actually that good for the environment so we're constantly changing and keeping up with the science and everything 
you've mentioned North Kerry there and farming. You have a farming background and you're from just outside Ballybunion. Yeah, I grew up in a dairy farm. Now, we're not organic, but we're dairy farmers since the la- for the all my life. I've been a dairy farmer, like, with my parents. And I started feeding calves when I was really young. And I was a milker. I started milking when I was about 12 or 13. And I was, I'm was i part-time relief milker at the moment now as well, just because you can't just go, can't just start up a business and expect to be making money so I do that in my at the weekends and it's, it's great exercise as well and I like doing it so you know we'll keep at that for in, a while. In terms then of your your educational background you did a degree in food science and health so was this an area that you always wanted to get into were you inspired growing up on a farm to pursue a career in the food industry? Oh yeah definitely I think North Kerry um you know, Kerry, Kerry Group are based in North Kerry. They were created, but it was created by the farmers of North Kerry. Uh, you know, and, and it's a, you know, it's a phenomenal business. They're worldwide. And, you know, I was always there. When I was in fifth year in, in the Stowell, President Stowell, I did five days work experience in um, Kerry Group in the Stowell. So, like, I was always interested. And then I did my food science and health after doing my leave and search and enter I was in the food industry then for was working in all different types of food fa- factories for the last 10 years and it's great I love it like I I love factories I worked in a sugar factory and it was like 49 acres and I just loved the science I loved the the sourcing the sugar is coming on the ships and it was amazing. They had their own dock and everything. So, you know, I, I'm always interested in it. You're bringing all that experience now to your own business. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I worked in an organic uh, fruit and veg company as well for three years. And that was great. And that's where I really sort of got a passion for it. Because I, I suppose I, I didn't really take too much notice about organic until I started working in an organic company. And then I realized, actually, this is real. It's, you know, it's really, you know, they're audited. It's not just a, a marketing strategy. It's it's really good for the environment. It's good for people. It's good for your health. It's There's there's so many underlying principles. So there are, that's what really motivated me to do that in Ireland. You've got great support locally and the, the products are available widely available in West Limerick and North Kerry. Yeah, that's correct. I've had great support um, in the last... We really launched there in the start of January and uh, I'm in so many shops. I'm in Ballybunion, the Super Value in Ballybunion, the Stroll. I'm in Two Wigs in Abbeyfield. I'm in Centra in Adair, um, Garvey Centra in Adair. Um, I'm in Sunnis in Newcastle West, Corbally up in Limerick and uh, Urban Co-op up in Limerick as well. So, and we do the neighbour food up in Limerick as well and they've been great. So they have, they've, you know, I really, I, I, the support has been phenomenal for the last, the last month especially. It's been unbelievable. And even before that, just even talking with people and telling them the story, people really believe in it like and you know, everyone's always willing to give give help, like, and, you know, it, it's been amazing. And I, I would imagine that the appearance on Nationwide was great for the profile because it is such a much-loved and much-watched programme. And um, the Nationwide was brilliant because it, it, I was able to show people what we had in Abbeyfield, 
without having to try and bring everyone into, you know, because because it's a pro, it's a factory. You can't have people coming in and out. So it was great to show people what we were doing. It's all like it's not a big factory. It's not a big. It's not machinery. It's people that are doing it, um, and we're creating jobs there, which is you know all part of it. The reason why I started it was because I wanted to live in, and work in North Kerry in the food industry and but I wanted something that I really believed in and, and that's why I, I, I started it. Um and yeah, it's been it's just been like the sport's been great. Everyone in Abbey Field as well, like especially I've been doing the markets there since last September. I haven't done them this I, I'm not going back now at the moment. But um but it's been it, it's been great. Like it's just I, I, it's so hard to put it into words. I'm so grateful for the support. I don't know how to even thank people, if that makes sense. It's it's it was, it's almost overwhelming. In terms of your suppliers, then are your suppliers all certified organic? Oh yes, they have to be certified organic for us to maintain our certification. All of our suppliers have to be certified organic. Uh, at the moment, we're using Beach Lawn up in Galway and Mana down in Tralee, and I'm hoping to expand that as well because obviously some products may not always be in season, so we may import them. Or what I would probably look to do is just have seasonal products coming on and off the market as we go. Um, so we'll, we'll get to that stage too soon. So you're you're on the lookout all the time for certified organic growers. Yeah, uh, on the lookout. If, uh, if anyone wants to get in contact with us, we're on Facebook and Instagram or hello at organigo.ie. Um, I want to help organic farmers because it's it's very hard, you know. Uh, people have to go to farmers markets to sell their products. They have to be the grower. They have to be the marketer. They have to be everything. Whereas, and then sometimes you could have a bump or a crop or something and you might not be able to get, you know, you might, you, like, that's just the way, if the weather is great, you'll just get loads of lettuce and you might not be able to sell it all. So, like, you know, that's why we're there. We're there to help shift it, move it fast, if that makes sense. And we've got the outlets to to do that so that it prevents waste. It also saves time and it, it's an easier way of bringing product to market if if and when it suits the farmer as well as as it's suiting us like. So in terms of the product range, we've mentioned what you have there at the moment. You have the courgette, the cauliflower, the butternut squash. And the beetroot noodles. And the beetroot noodles. Have you any plans to expand the range in the spring? Oh yeah, I'm hoping to launch a few more products in April. All going well. It'll depend on a few things we have to get in place. But hopefully we'll have new products. Uh, hope, I'm hoping we'll get a few maybe tomatoes and cucumbers going in April or May and maybe some other products are working on in the background. I don't know will they come to fruition or not. Fantastic. Well, listen, we will keep an eye on Organigo.ie and your social media platforms for all the details. In the meantime, best of luck with it and thanks a million for telling me about it today. Super. Thanks a million, Sharon. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102FM.
Welcome back to the best possible taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and just before the break we heard from Maura Griffin whose business Organigo in Abbeyfield is the latest addition to the burgeoning food scene in West Limerick. And on that note I want to give a shout out to the West Limerick Food Series which starts next week. It's an online networking and training initiative featuring a blend of workshops with expert trainers, guest speakers and interactive discussion. It's open to but not limited to food drink producers and growers, cafe owners, restaurateurs, chefs, hoteliers, B&B owners, tour guides, operators, retailers, publicans, tourist attractions and food and drink enthusiasts in the West Limerick area. So if you fit any of those descriptions, pop on to Eventbrite and look for West Limerick resources who are behind the event. If you're just tuning in now, you're very welcome to the programme and if you'd like to catch the best possible taste repeat on West Limerick 102 FM, tune in on Wednesday mornings at 8am and the podcasts are also available to listen to on SharonNoonan.com as well as iTunes and the podcast app. Now, finally tonight, I'm delighted to welcome back to the show Helen Cook from This Winding Life who has recently moved house. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Helen, congratulations. You've moved into a new pad yourself, your lovely rescue dog, Pippin, and your partner. Was that a stressful experience in the middle of everything that's going on? Yeah, it, it was a bit stressful, I'm not going to lie. Uh, we're still in the process of unpacking and DIYing and painting, but we're almost there. Um, but yeah, it definitely was a an experience in the pandemic to try and move. I'm sure other people have had similar experiences, but um, not least because no one can help you, you know. So um, on normal times, you'd have plenty of friends and family willing to lend the boot of their car or their muscles to shift some furniture. But it was just ourselves um, doing it. But we got there we got slowly but surely. Well, tell me this then, was that a great opportunity to do a bit of decluttering, especially in the kitchen? Because I know we have drawers here overflowing with things that you think, oh, I can't get rid of that because I'm, I might use it sometime, but I can't remember the last time that I actually used it. Yeah, that's so true. It was it was a great chance to do a big clear out, as you said, and to also rediscover a few bits and pieces that you forget that you have because I think especially in the kitchen, we all get kind of stuck in a pattern, don't we, of our own few dishes that we do and then at Christmas or other times we might break out and, and try a recipe or do something different. But I think we all have our like repertoire that we kind of do week in, week out and I definitely have bought a few things over the years with great intention, Sharon, of using them regularly and then they ended up in the back of a dusty cupboard and they were quite a, quite the find, yeah, that I found some bits and pieces. Go on, tell us what you find, I'm dying to know. Well, some of them, are, <laughs> there was just one or two interesting bits um, and then a few other things that are handy that I just don't use anymore. So I suppose... One thing that was right in at the very back was my pasta machine, which is something I hadn't used in years and years. 
And the reason being is that it has to clamp on to something, like to the edge of a table. Um, so if anyone who doesn't know like how a pasta machine works, so machine machine is a great word. It's actually not electrical at all. It's completely just manpower. The one that I have, it's a very handy little one. So it's just like a roller. It almost looks like a miniature version of it. If anyone remembers in old time movies or whatever, of people used to dry clothes by like wringing them through. So a pasta machine is quite similar. It has rollers and it has a little lever that you turn around and around. And you put your dough in and you roll it through and it flattens and thins out the dough so that you end up with like a lovely even sheet of pasta that then you can cut into whatever shape you want. But this particular one I have, it has to clamp down onto a table so that it gets some purchase. You know, so that when you're rolling it, it's not like moving all over the place. So in my old apartment, it didn't fit on anything. So it wouldn't attach to the sideboard. It wouldn't attach to the kitchen table. It wouldn't attach to the kitchen counter. So I just put it in a box. I put it away and I totally forgot I had it. And out it came, and it's very dusty, so I've given it a bit of a clean. And I can attach it to my new kitchen table here. So I'm going to get making some pasta. Fantastic. Fresh pasta. Fair yeah. play to you. Yeah. And it's very easy to make. Like, pasta is just flour and water, like, and maybe a little oil, depending on how you use it. And of course, the best flour to use is the, they call it in, in Italy, like the tipo or zero, zero flour, which used to be hard to find, but you can get that anywhere now. Lots of big supermarkets have it. And that's really good dough to use either for pizzas or for pasta. So I'm going to get going with that. Brilliant. So we look forward to seeing some of that on your social media in the weeks to yeah. come. And the second item I found, Sharon, is actually related. They're cousins of each other. Um, the second one was a gift that I, again, I totally forgotten I had, but it's a serrated ravioli tray. Have you ever seen any of these? No. So for all intents and purposes, it looks like a long metal ice cube tray, but running around between each of the little holes is little sharp spikes. And it's a very handy little thing. So what you do is you roll out your sheet of pasta, your pasta machine, and you lay it down on top of this uh, little tray. And then you put your little ravioli filling in each of the little impressions, like in each of the little ice cube holes, so to speak. And then you lay your second sheet on top. And then you just roll a rolling pin over it and it'll cut the ravioli on the square with the little spikes. Fantastic. So You're very dedicated to your Italian cooking. So you are, Helen. I, I really, well, actually, that's funny. Like, Italian would be my favourite cuisine. Yeah. Um, of all the different world cuisines that they say. I absolutely love, I love everything about Italian food. I love the ethos of, of how they eat. Big communal tables like family sitting around, like lots of courses, lots of nibbles, lots of small little bits. So yeah, I, I love I love Italian food. And yeah, a very simple ravioli. Um, you can hand make ravioli, of course, too. You can just 
put put your layer of pasta down, put your fillings on, put your layer on top, and then just use a knife like to cut them out and then pinch them down around the sides. Um, a lovely filling I do is sweet potato with sage and chili. Well, sounds delicious. Mm. Yeah, it's very simple. You just pre just cook up your sweet potato because it's nice and soft, and then season it to your liking, maybe with some chili flakes and a little bit of sage and Pop each one in, and it's so quick, so quick and easy. Um, yeah, so there are a couple of things. Another one I found that I bought, TK Maxx is a great one for finding little bits and pieces sometimes uh, for kitchen things. And I found baking beans, and I put them in a cupboard, never thought of them again. Do you have baking beans? I have baking beans, and I have never used them once. You've never used them. <laughs> I don't know if you saw Nevin Maguire recently. He did a lovely um, tartlet and he, he had made the pastry and begged it blind. And I said to myself, and you have the beans to do that, Sharon, if you'd ever motivate yourself to actually go and make it. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, I love making pastry. Um, and over the years, I've used many different things. Like I used to just use rice. I, I would put like cling film, you know, into tin and just put in a load of rice and but I, I actually saw these baking beans. They're ceramic baking beans. And they were a good price. And I said, you know what? They're something that you've said you'd always buy and you keep forgetting. And of course, I put them into a back cupboard. Forgot all about them. So they're out front and centre now to remind me to get making a nice tart. So I might make a nice lemon tart or something. It sounds um, delicious. In the coming weeks. Um, another little one I found for anybody who's a tea lover... You could probably get them in a specialist tea shop are empty tea bags that I found somewhere. Um, so they're basically a tea bag with a little a little envelope, like a little lid that you just kind of fold over and it seals. And they're really great for anyone who likes their teas, like maybe likes different loose teas, but you don't want to maybe make a pot. You just want to make a cup for yourself. So you would just put like a teaspoon of the loose tea in and close over this little tea bag and it just makes a little tea bag at home. So they're a great one to watch out for if anyone likes their, their loose teas or like trying different teas. And the final one, Sharon, that is an oldie but a goodie is I found our old retro toast sandwich maker. We haven't seen the light of day in a long, long time. It has fallen out of fashion. I don't know why it kind of fell out of fashion, those little toasty machines that kind of fall out of fashion a little bit, but they really do the job. They're so much better than trying to do it under the grill. They remind me of my student days. Me too. And I think many of us that have enjoyed them in the past learned a very serious lesson early on using them. If you put the tomato in it, you burn your mouth once and that's it. It'll never happen again. The tomato can be a bit soggy. So I, what I do is I put in like, a I'm talking a tiny, a dot of tomato puree paste and my cheese and red onion. That would be one of mine. Fabulous. Or lean pairings, lean pairings and cheese. The Worcester sauce. Yeah, it's very good. Um, so as we were just getting unpacked here and settled in the toasting machine has been has been a great 
a great quick meal solution, I have to say, over the last couple of days. So it's been a, a real joy rediscovering that and trying out different chutneys and things with the cheese. But you can definitely make a fancy toasty. Absolutely, yeah. Oh, God, absolutely. Well, listen, it has been a joy talking to you again this evening after so long and well where in your new pad with your partner and say hello to Pippin for us. I will. Thanks so much, Sharon. Take care. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. And that brings us to the end of the programme this evening. Thanks for tuning in and to my guests, JP McMahon, Maura Griffin and Helen Cook. Until next week, bon appétit. Do you want to get in touch with the best possible taste? Do you want to come on, share a recipe, review a cookery book, or just have a general chat about what you like to eat and drink? All you have to do is get in touch with me, Sharon Noonan, by sending an email to s.noonan at live.ie or send me a tweet at Queen of Org. Bon appétit!